Hey everyone, I'm Karen Stefano, author of The Secret Games of Words, and with me this evening is Doug Cooper, author of Outside In. How are you doing, Doug? Doing well. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Um, are you in Las Vegas? Yes, uh, I'm in Las Vegas, just looking out across the valley uh, right now. Of course, it's sunshine and well over 100 degrees today. Yeah, I, I surprise, surprise. Yeah, I figure I figured uh-huh. as much. I bet you do a lot of you get a lot of indoor time in the in the summer. I bet. That's right. Well, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me this evening. Um, I read your novel Outside In, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic, a fantastic story, and executed with um, really, really great. Writing so so, congrats on a great on a great book. Well, thanks. Um, I, I I wanted to dive right in and and ask you about the book. And um, uh, for those listening who who haven't read it yet, um, the the main character is a guy named Brad Shepard or Shep, as he's called by some of the other characters in the book, and. Um, I wanted to ask you, Doug, what, what inspired this character for you? Well, when I, when I thought about the character that I wanted to do uh, and what I wanted to do with Brad, I, I knew that I wanted to do this coming-of-age story, but I wanted to do it with a little bit older of a protagonist and you know so i made this character uh 28 years old and you know i made him i wanted to make him a teacher because i just thought a teacher made such a good protagonist because you know all readers have have been students so they could they could relate um they could relate to brad and by making him 28 you know some of that was you know some people questioned that and said well you know isn't that a bit old for you know, a character and, and having coming of age. But really what you're seeing now is, you know, kind of a belated coming of age, you know, with with a lot of people that's, you know, whether they're staying in, in school much longer or living at home with, with parents, you know, the millennials are staying at home a lot more. So, you know, they're kind of getting a later start. And also, too, you have a lot of people that, you know, they go – through high school, they go right to college, they get out, they start working, and they really don't have a sense of independence and really till their mid to late 20s when they're confronted with a lot of uh, a lot of things. So I just had this idea for this teacher, wanted to make him 28 years old and throw him into a situation where some, some bad things happen and, and see how he reacted. Yeah, and, and you did a great job of that. And that's interesting that... Um, that's an interesting observation uh, about um, coming of age uh, happening a lot, a lot later uh, uh, today. And um, I definitely, I, yeah, yeah, I agree with I agree with you. And I think I've seen that um, with a lot of my friends' children too. So, um, so that's interesting that 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 you chose uh, that age. And, yeah, and there's uh, really a. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's actually um, there's a um, a theory c- called the quarter life crisis by you know a psychiatrist Eric Erickson, 
and you know he really kind of maps all all this out of of this kind of belated coming of age and and i didn't realize this until after i had written it but it was kind of cool to to go back and read all this theory and 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 see this because it was exactly what i was doing so it was kind of more of a confirmation that you know the what i was talking about was true yeah that's wild um that's wow that's that's cool and and affirming to you as a writer for kind of kind of nailing it and, and getting it right. Um, but let me ask you um, an, another question about about the book. Um, obviously, I've I've read it and um, I formed an opinion about what the, what the book is about. Um, but I always like asking authors about their own book. I, I like to ask them, well, what do you think your book is about? So, so when someone, if we were at a cocktail party and I hadn't read the book and I just met you and I wasn't necessarily a literary person and I asked you, hey, what's, what's your book about? How, how would you answer? Yeah, most simply, it's, it's a modern search for responsibility and identity and it's showing how sometimes we can only come to understand who we truly are by becoming the person we're not. Is kind of the elevator, kind of the elevator pitch that that I would say. You know, if somebody asked me, you know, to give it to them um, succinctly, and then it's really, you know, you have a student who dies on a drug overdose on the parents' pain medication, and this 28-year-old teacher who, like you said, is Brad Shepard, he loses his job, and he flees to this island community of Put-in-Bay that's in Lake Erie, just in between Ohio and Canada, uh, to forget and begin again. But the newfound freedom he's got is, is too much, and he becomes lost in a haze of alcohol, sex, and drugs. And as the end of the summer draws near, the grim reality of this empty quest that he's been on consumes him, and you know he's got nowhere left to run or hide, and so he must accept that identity can't be found or fabricated, but emerges from within when a person has the courage to let go. Yeah, and um, you did, you know, you really did a great job of making the reader feel um, the just the just the utter the utter confusion when mm-hmm. when, as, as, when he's in about the middle of this experience um, you know I, I I really I really felt his his pain and his confusion yeah. and his um, his lack of self so so great. again great great job. Well, let me let me ask you something because it kind of goes in line with you know I, I really enjoyed the stories I was reading of yours and you know I I found myself you know reading them and and I would read one and I would say okay one more and then five stories later I I was still reading and they really kind of pulled me in and one of the things that really pulled me in and kind of a a, a common theme through that I saw through them all was. There was just this rich, vivid detail, and there were just these little things that were just so poignant, and just they really kind of hooked me. And so, I, I guess that's I would just want to ask you, you know, how do you develop these like just such, you know, um, this vivid detail? You know, where does that come from? Um, 
Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Um, and nothing makes me happier than to hear people say that, you know, they they say, you know, the one more thing and they that they just keep on, that they keep on reading. So, um, so thank you for that. And um, to answer your question, um, the answer is I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I think... I, I observe, um, like many writers, I'm a really um, observant person. Um, you know, people watching, you know, overhearing conversations. I, I, I listen a lot. And, uh, again, like a lot of other writers, I carry around a notebook with me, and I frequently jot things down. And if I don't jot it down right when I'm observing it, I'll frequently, um, you know, jot it down as soon as I get home. And, uh, and I think of how I can use that little odd random detail in my work. And, um, and the way, the, the way these details kind of, kind of come about are in, are in two ways. I mean, lots of times, I'll, I'll observe something in the world or, or, or uh, you know, spontaneously imagine a situation in the world, and then I'll, I'll create a scene around that detail um, because mm-hmm. I want to use that detail because I think it's so unique and wonderful. And so I'll do that sometimes, but then on the, I'll do the opposite, too, um, I'll, you know, I'll be writing a scene and then I've got to, you know, I've got to make up the details to fit that scene. So, mm-hmm. so it's, 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 so it's interesting. So I do it, I do it both ways. I mean, I work, I work, I make the details fit into the, the scene that I'm working on or I make the scene work for the details that I just, um, that I just really, really want to make use of on the page. Yeah, that's really interesting because it re- they really it really comes through, and you know, to like go into like a specific thing, you know, and in in the one story, different but the same, you know, the opening line, you know, when we were kids, Mundo Gavaletti and I played the Price's Life with lizards caught from a canyon bordering the apartments where we lived with our mothers. I mean, I just I think that's such a rich opening line, and I mean, it could really stand on its own as its own story. It's almost kind of like a micro-fiction, you know, that you can just pull so much. I mean, just chew on that line for a long time. So, you know, how did you come up with the name Mundo Gavaletti? Because that's just so great. And did you ever play the game, The Price is Life? Um, well, um did I ever play that game? Um, the answer is uh, no, absolutely not, nor did I play any games remotely like it. Um, um, one of my character traits, some, you know, some people close to me might say flaws, um, is that I'm really incredibly um, sensitive to animals, um, to, um, to creatures, and so I could um, never hurt a, a living creature uh, the way these these boys do for sport in the in the opening scenes of the story. Mm-hmm. But but boys um, or men that I've known um, have, 
And so this is this is an interesting question because it kind of dovetails with the details question that you mm-hmm. just asked me. Um, because uh, a, a man um, I dated years and years and years ago um, shared this childhood game of his, and it's a detail that I held on to literally for for 25 years, um, always wanting to use it in a, it, it in a story. And mm-hmm. then, and finally I did. So, um, so that, so that's actually provides a really, really good example of, of, of where my, um, details come from. And, um, to answer your question about Mundo Gavaletti, uh, the boys in this story are characters representing a mishmash of the boys I grew up with and, um, uh, and the boyhoods of men I have known who have shared with me pieces of their childhood. And Mundo was actually the, the name of one of these boys I grew up with, um, uh, it's it's actually short for Edmundo, uh, a Latino name, and um, I, I just I think it's just an interesting name. And Mundo, um, for the Spanish speakers who are listening, um, know that it Mundo means world in Spanish. And because this character is, you know, he's a he's a child and he's so lost and he's just he's a mutt of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wanted to demonstrate that by giving him a last name that's just totally opposite to his first, to show what a mismatched child he is, and then later, you know, a, a man who all but loses his life. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Mundo, um, I, you know, and God knows why, um, you know, this, this kid literally from elementary school, um, I don't know why his name stuck with me but um but it did so uh, so so well one thing one thing that i i took away from that and probably to all the listeners too be careful what you say around karen because it might (laughs) pop up in the story at some point that's right that's right (laughs) um yeah i'm completely untrustworthy in that way as are are most writers wouldn't you agree doug Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm 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 definitely guilty uh, guilty of that. Um, so let me ask you um, a question. You asked me kind of a uh, sort of a, a craft a craft ish question about um, how I develop details for the stories, and I want to ask you a craft question. Um, you do dialogue like nobody's business. Um, you're very, very good at it. And um, it's doing, di- making dialogue come across on the page. Uh, not, everybody, not everybody nails it the way you do. And I, I just was curious as to what you did to achieve that level of prof- proficiency and um, and for, for for the people who are listening who struggle with making their dialogue work, uh, what what advice would you give to them? 
Well, uh, thank you so much. Um, it's something that I do spend a lot of time on. Um, one of the things, you know, like that you had mentioned before about, you know, is you just really pay attention and really listen to what people say, but, but not just what they're saying with their, with the words, but just watching them as well. And, and, you know, seeing what they do with their hands, you know, watching how, their eye might twitch a little bit when when they're talking or or their lip quiver a, cer- a certain way and just watching kind of the whole um way that the dialogue is coming out and 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 kind of perceiving um you know the meaning through that way too so and like you said you know always just out in public and kind of watching and and listening and then the thing that I really do that is when I'm when I'm home is you know, I just read stuff out loud and just read it over and over, back and forth um, until, you know, it's just, you know, to hear how it sounds out loud and to make sure that it sounds um, realistic. And um, sometimes, too, it's, you know, like in, in Outside In, a lot of times people sometimes will take the dialogue too literally. And, you know, like one of the comments that I've heard is people will say, well, you know, all, all these characters do is, uh, you know, talk about life and living life to the fullest, but they're not really doing anything. And I say, you know, that's that's the point. You know, dialogue can also be a way to characterize, and it's not what the words are, but it's kind of the subtext. You know, and I say, you know, th- these characters are using dialogue just, you know, it kind of connects with the title of Outside In. You know, this is just another shield that they're really kind of hiding behind. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's not just a way to convey information, but you can characterize and, and also use it in other ways stylistically to, to, convey, uh, to convey many different meanings. Yeah, and I, think, and I think you do a good job of that, and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that people have um, made that remark because, um, I, I, you know, I, I kind of don't think they were reading it closely enough or paying enough attention because I, I, total, I totally got that and you, you did a great job of, uh, of bringing, that, bringing that through and, um, you know, these characters, it makes perfect sense that they're, you know, they're talking, they're not doing and, yeah. you know, um, so, so. Well, you know, from reading, you know, from reading the, from, from reading, I mean, the characters, you know, aren't the most uh, inspirational or, you know, they, they do a lot of the wrong, the wrong things. And I think that's also too what sometimes people struggle with. You know, they, they want the characters to be, you know, these, these shining examples of, of people. And, you know, I like to make people a bit more flawed and, and like darker heroes and, and make them a bit more realistic like, like all of us. Yeah, and more... And more interesting. I mean, um, I you know I don't like a, a lot of really you know popular books. Um, you know, mass mass market paperbacks and and whatnot have you know have just those kind of cardboard cutout you know black and white characters. And and I like a flawed character. And and um, You've, you've certainly got, you've got plenty of flawed um, and very, very interesting characters in, in outside in. So. Well, let me, uh, here's a question I've been dying to ask you because I just love this title of this one. 
story in defense of memory loss. Um, maybe it's because uh, my memory is is not the greatest, so I was just kind of drawn to that. And like you said before about how when you're out, you have to write something down, or when you get home, you have to write it down, or it's gone. You know, I often tell people, when you're with me, you know, it's often the record button's broken and I'm in play-only mode, you know, that is just not not getting back there. That's one reason I write stuff down. So, and I, you know, I was immediately drawn to the in defense of memory loss. And, you know, I love the line when talking about the, the narrator's mother, you know, mine has already given me everything she once possessed, a tin box filled with recipes written on index cards, a photo album, a face, a strangling fear of the world. You know, I just love how that goes from the, these general things, you know, and these kind of nice imagery, and then it, you know, brings to her face, and then it talks about this strangling fear of the world. So, um, you know, what what are you most afraid of in the world? Um, uh, you ask great questions, Doug. Um, you, you really, you, you go, you go right, you go right there. Um, I, I love it. Um, uh, it, it, what am I most afraid of? I, you know, I'm, to be honest with you, um, I'm a person who has gone through, um, a, a lot of her life, uh, just, just terrified. Um, I've, I've been afraid uh, of so of so much, and and I still am, frankly. And I I have wasted so much time and so much energy worrying. And you know, lately, uh, you know, and I and I'm trying to get better about it because um, I don't know if you've ever seen just those things going around on on Facebook or other social media, and someone will say. Um, they'll post, uh, if you could, you know, go back in time and, you know, speak to your prior self, what would you, what mm-hmm. would you say? And, you know, four words or less. And, you know, I always say, you know, stop, you know, however many words it is, stop worrying so fucking much and, you know, <laughs> enjoy your life, you know? It's like, it's got to be okay. Um, so so I'm working on that and, and just trying to enjoy, enjoy my life um, more. But... You know, lately I kind of, I worry about now about kind of going through my whole life and and looking back and not feeling like I was ever mentally present for any of any of it. I mean, I don't know if if you do this, but I'm I'm always worrying about making the next thing happen rather than enjoying the moment. I'm you know, like I'm I walk to work and. So just, you know, on that walk to work, I'll be thinking, okay, when I get into the office, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I'm going to be late. And rather than just looking around and enjoying the trees and the breeze and, and um, so I'm really, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a person who hasn't been present for any of her life, um, if that makes any sense. So, I'm, that's, mm-hmm. so that's something I'm working on. So, and I don't know if you, if you do that too, or if you're really, really good at living in the present. Yeah, I think we, I think we all kind of struggle, struggle with that. And as we get older, you know, we hopefully find ways to, to bring ourselves into the present, whether it's, you know, whether it's 
you know, a walk, um, whether it's meditation, whether, you know, f- for me, one of the things I found is I, I started riding my bicycle again. And, you know, using that as a mode of transport, you know, I live downtown in Vegas and it's, it's very bike friendly. And for some reason that just really kind of helps center me once I get out and the sounds, you know, the tires on the road and just the fresh air and just, just everything about it that always kind of, if I'm stuck with something, you know, just go out for a short, a short bike ride or, or, you know, whatever I'm doing. So you find little things, I think, that help you try to pull back you know, in, in, into the moment, because um, I think that's a fear we we all share. But maybe not ev- everyone. But I think if you have that fear, then I think you are kind of living in the present because you're 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 thinking about what you're doing and and what you want and and how you fit into this world. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know your 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 bicycling remark is, you know, reminds me I've got to start running more again, um, because when I, when I do run, um, I, I really feel, I really feel present, and, um, it's, it's, you know, it's funny when you, as you get older, when I, I used to run when I was younger, and I would run so I could eat and drink whatever I wanted, (laughs) now, now the motivation for running is, um, you know, to get calm and, and, and to, and to be present, so, um, but let me let me ask you something. Um, uh, uh, you know, early in the book, um, Brad Shepard, twenty eight years old, um, he gets sold out to use Brad's own words. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, in your own life, have you ever felt like you've been sold out and and you've ever had that feeling um would you be willing to tell me and our listeners about that well i think you know everyone has been has been sold out in some respect i mean i can say you know yeah i've been screwed over um in my life most of the most of the time you know it hasn't really been work related like with brad's case where the student dies and and the the uh, the school district wants to mitigate the lawsuit, so they realize he's young and he's not tenured, so they can kind of offer him up as a bargaining chip and get rid of him. So, you know, his whole life was turned upside down. Some Something like that is, has not happened to me on like a professional level. I mean, typically in professional settings, I mean, I've moved every, let's say, three to five years for over 20 years. So I've, I've moved around a lot. And I, I think maybe I kind of been able to see the the signposts and so maybe i've kind of moved on before like in a professional setting that i've kind of been dumped or 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 forced out but most of my situations where you know i didn't see things coming or i felt really betrayed or like i said screwed over was it was in relationships you know and and just they don't go the way you want and usually there you look back on them and you know, with time, you realize why why they didn't. That in effect, you weren't really screwed over. That it was, um, it was probably you know just you know you had come together and and had had run its course, and it was time to move on. And unfortunately, when those things happen, it's rare that both people arrive at the situation you know at the same decision um, at once. Um, so oftentimes you're, you're the one kind of holding the, 
holding the bag, so to speak, and and it, it's not easy, you know, and, and especially if there's infidelity involved or, you know, just uh, one particular story I'll tell you, I, you know, I had the, uh, was dating and living with the girl and she was, um, started having an affair with uh, a good friend of a, a good friend of ours who the three of us already did stuff together. So that's where I kind of felt, I would say I felt sold out because I not only felt betrayed by the friend, but by her. Um, but, you know, as, as, like I said, as time goes on, I realized, Hey, you know, I, I wasn't really, it was, you know, oftentimes you realize that, you know, even negative situations are really just, pushing you towards more positive uh, things. I think one of the hardest things in those type of situations or, or any situation where consequences are, are levied to you is to know when is it really time to dig in and, and kind of fight for something and when is it time to just let go and say, oh, you know what, this is uh, time, to, to, time to let go. I've probably kind of skewed more towards the latter um, uh, you know, as a, you know, in, in, in later, later years where, you know, when things happen that are unexpected or don't go the way I want, you know, I just kind of say, well, oh, I didn't see that really coming, but, you know, I guess there's something else in store for me out there and, and just kind of let it go and, and try not to be, you know, angry or, or bitter and, and just, and just realize that it's life's way of telling me it's time for change. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. I mean, we would save ourselves so much angst if we could have the, um, you know, the peace and knowledge that, okay, this this happened for a reason. Um, at the time, it's happening. You know, um, uh, it's it's unfortunate that you know there's there's that delay in in the realization that oh, okay, this is this hurts now, but um, but uh, this is all going to work out fine. Um, and, um, and I'm sorry you had those experiences, but, um, to, to riff off something Samantha Dunn and I were talking about, um, in, in our webcast last week, um, I hope to hell that, uh, you got some of that pain out on the page and you got some good writing out of it at least. Yeah, I think that's another thing as, as writers, you know, when you're in these kind of twisted situations, you can always kind of rationalize them as, you know, hey, this is where, this is where the good stuff comes from. So, I mean, you just got to be careful that you don't, um, aren't kind of drawn to that or, 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 or bring that drama into your life for those reasons. But when it happens, it's definitely, I think it's easier for a writer because it is, um, it is definitely a field uh, that you can mine later for some, some good stuff. Um, but on that, on kind of that line of um, how people affect each other, you know, in, in your story, telling time, you know, what I took out of that is really examining kind of the impact of siblings on one another. And, you know, how do you, th- and, and there's a line in there about, you know, make, make how the one makes um, the other one what they are. So, I mean, how do you feel like people make each other what they are? Or in that story, if you want to talk specifically about that or just in, in, and move to the general. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I think in, in, in the, in the general, um, uh, you know, people, people do to, to some extent, um, make each, 
make each other what they are by virtue of the definition of their relationship. So sibling, sibling, um, our spouses, our partners. Um, I think when you go through life with a person, um, that that person that that person guides you and they they teach you how to experience the world and certainly in this story um uh one sibling uh definitely teaches uh the the other sibling the sister how to experience the world and how to survive and even thrive in a pretty uh negative home environment and and those people um, again, both in the story and in life generally, they, they teach, but they teach by example. Um, and I think teaching by example is, it, it, it is the most effect, is the most effective. And though, and then that really, really solidifies that, that close relationship and makes it even, even more close. But, but it's in- interesting though, because as illustrated in this story, there are limits to those relationships. And um, so like the adults who sprouted um, from the children in this story, um, mental illness, for example, presents some pretty strong barriers to relating to one another on a real level and um, creates barriers uh, to really helping one another effectively, no matter how much you might want to to help that person. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I don't. I have no idea if I really answered your question. No, I don't know if good. I even. I don't know if I know. So. Um, uh, well, I definitely. Yeah, I so, definitely think. I think the you know you you hit on it there when you, you know, you're talking about how you know we influence each other and, and, and also kind of like how you said, you know, we take those people along with us as we, as we go on, you know, when we have these interactions and we impact, I mean, even when that person isn't with us, we take that little piece as we go forward. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I couldn't, yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. And that's, um, that's the beautiful thing about about those relationships, and um, yeah, that how they how they're that person's present, um, even when they're not physically physically present. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let me let me shift gears a little bit, Doug. And I keep I keep um, trying to call you Brad, as in Brad Shepard. So, <laughs> Uh, but got to got to delineate between the two. Um, I want to ask you uh, about your very very interesting bio on your book jacket, and I'm just going to read it aloud for those who are listening who haven't yet. Uh, read the book. It says, Doug Cooper has traveled to over 20 countries on five continents, exploring the contradictions between what we believe and how we act in the pursuit of truth, beauty, and love. Um, I think that's, that's beautiful, and I think it's one of the, the coolest author bios I've ever, I've ever read. But um, tell, me, tell me something about that ex- explanation. Well, I mean, I've had a really broad 
uh, background. And, you know, like I said before, I've, you know, I've moved every three to five years for, for over 20 years. And it wasn't ever really by design. It was just kind of, uh, you know, I would say the, the, the voice, you know, the little voice inside has always told me when it's time to go on or an experience pulled me in a different way. And, you know, similar, you know, I, I do get a lot of the question, you know, with people think that I'm the, the main character in, in, in the book. And it's not me. There are some similarities that I pulled from my experience. I mean, I was originally a teacher. I was a, I was a math teacher um, for five years. And, um, but so, you know, I started out teaching and then I, you know, tried writing a little bit. But to be honest with you, I was in my 20s and all I did was party. I really wasn't disciplined yet. So I started doing corporate um, technical writing and and got into some project management and then really just and that's when I really started being creative and started writing more and I think the fixed schedule and the structure and and then um, kind of bounced around a little bit and I was living in in Detroit and doing some work and I got hired by this Swedish Norwegian company um, and I, I worked for them in Detroit a little bit then I worked for them in New York a little bit and then their headquarters was in Oslo Norway and they moved me to Oslo, Norway. So I lived as an expat for five years. And during that time, you know, the job and, and combination of, of personal time, I just really started traveling a lot and, you know, was in Asia quite a bit, Australia, you know, South America, um, and, and just really kind of getting out. And it was always really great because I said again, you know, oh, this is going to really fill into the writing experience and, and going out. But then I got to the point um, where I had an opportunity to live, you know, in China and in Thailand and work. And I said, you know, I think I've done enough. It's time to um, come back. So I, I moved back to the U.S. And the reason I chose Las Vegas is I had an idea for a book. And, and I can say I'm, I'm just putting the final edits on it now. So so that's finished. And it's called The Investment Club. And it's based here in, in Las Vegas, about five broken people who meet at a bro- blackjack table in downtown Vegas and discover the greatest return is what you get from contributing to one another. So you know, it's all very different experience. But when I look at it, you know, comprehensively, there is kind of a flow and a, th- and a theme to it. And it all kind of, it, it all kind of makes sense, you know, but if you look at any one piece or separate pieces, you say, how, how the heck, you know, this guy was a math teacher, and now he's a writer. And how do all these pieces fit together? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's funny. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've had quite as, um, I certainly haven't had the diverse travel and um, uh, living environments that you've had, but I kind of feel, I kind of feel that way myself. I mean, I've had so many different jobs in my life and, um, you know, so they're kind of trying to, trying to piece them together to form, um, you know, a narrative arc, so to speak, of of my life. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It's a, you know, jig and jag and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, here and there and, it all it all turned out it all turned out well, but um, it's it's uh, yeah it's, you just kind of wonder you know how how you get from point A to point Z sometimes. But, so do you get the uh, question? Do you get the question a lot um, because you write um, you know so well in the first person? When people read your stories, do they think you know that you're the that you're always the narrator, do they say to you, hey, you know in this one story when you did this and you did that? 
Absolutely. I mean, I get it all the time. Um, uh, a, a, a good friend of mine um, read the book, you know, cover to cover, just sat down with it immediately when it when it came out, and um, and he's not he's not a, he's a very bright person, but he's not he's not a literary person, and and he knows me very well, and he's known me for a lot of years, and he basically mentally went through story by story, and it's like, did you really flunk the bar? No, I didn't flunk the bar, but you know, <laughs> we wanted to create we wanted to create more we wanted to create more tension here, and it's like, okay, this, this Starsky and Hutch three way, did that really happen? Oh well, yeah, actually, that did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, so, so stuff, um, uh, you know, there's, I, I write in the, in the first person and yeah, a lot of time, uh, people without the, the literary background, um, they, they can't, uh, uh, pick apart what what's what's true and 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 what's not but yeah but like you within in um outside in i mean of course there's there's pieces of you in mm-hmm. in in your characters and your life experience in your characters and um i think that that's true for for all of us and um and and uh and, and picking out what's what's fiction and what's um what's nonfiction is is part of the fun once you actually when you actually know the the writer, so yeah, um, I have a fun. I have a I, quick, quick, quick little ahead. just a little snippet on that. That my grandmother, who who just turned ninety um, in May, you know, she read the, she read the book, and and I was surprised how she really related. And 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 at the end, she said, you know, I really liked it, Douglas, but I just want to know how much of it is true. And I said, oh. Grandma, it's all fiction. Ah, good answer. <laughs> good, good answer. So I don't think I don't think your grandma needs to know all the all the gory details about right. the, the the inspiration for this for this excellent fiction. So, um, well, Doug, I don't want to I don't want to cut us off too abruptly. Um, but as always happens in these um, webcasts. Time has flown by, and um, we're kind of we're kind of needing to to wrap it up now. But um, I want to tell everybody who is listening to buy Outside In. It is a terrific novel. You will enjoy it. Um, you will see pieces of yourself in it, um, pieces of yourself that you don't always necessarily like, um, but it's, it's a terrific read. And Doug, I could talk to you for hours. Um, it's just, uh, it's a delight. This has been fun. Yeah, really, really fun. And um, you're, you're terrific. And I hope I get to meet you um, in face-to-face and um, have a longer conversation someday. Absolutely. Thanks. This, like you said, this just, just flew by and, um, really enjoyed, you know, your stories and each one, like you said, people, if you haven't read them, I mean, just go because you just climb inside these stories and you're seeing things through, through these, these characters. And like I said, with the detail and it's just really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much, Doug. Um, so with that, um, we'll say good night to everyone. And, um, thanks again, Doug, for, uh, talking to me.